God Conversations with Tanya Harris. So let me ask you that question. What does God sound like? <laughs> well, you know, thunder, lightning. <laughs> Mother Teresa, someone asked her, when does God speak to you? And she said, whenever he wants. So essentially the Bible is a collection of God conversations, if you like. I had a vision of a car accident, and I'm sitting on the couch thinking, why have I just seen this? How could I know if God was speaking to me? How could I know that that dream or that thought was actually just me thinking about, oh, I just had some bad pizza? Jesus said we'd recognise his voice and follow him. It was never meant to be a one-way conversation. Godconversations.com Can men and women be friends? Plenty of experts say they can't, that it's not even appropriate to have one-on-one conversations with the opposite sex because of the possibility of extramarital affairs. What does God have to say about cross-gendered relationships? Should we do friendship with the opposite sex? And if so, how can we do it in a way that's healthy? In a world that promotes equality, where men and women share workplaces, roles and leisure time, this is an incredibly important question that we need to talk about. So on God Conversations today, we're going to do just that. We're going to tackle the tough issues. We'll talk about the boundaries, what they look like and how the Apostle Paul's advice may well be the key. Hi, and welcome to episode 35 of the God Conversations podcast. My name is Tanya Harris, and I'm a pastor, speaker, and founder of this ministry that equips you to recognize and respond to God's voice. Well, how are you today? I want to welcome any new listeners to the podcast. I've just returned recently from my first ministry trip to Scotland. So if there's any Scots listening to the show... Welcome. I have to say I spent a wonderful week in Aberdeen. It was my first time, as I mentioned, and I was ministering at a multi-site church, so about a thousand people. But the interesting thing about this church was that it was spread over seven different sites in the city. It's a beautiful church, and we had such a fruitful time there. I also had uh, the first opportunity I had to eat haggis. Now, for those of you who don't know, haggis is a traditional Scottish food made from the stomach of a pig, the lining of the stomach of a pig. So uh, was a little bit of fear and trepidation as I ate my first haggis, but it tasted just a lot like sausage. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was. I think it was the psychological obstacle as much as anything, a bit like uh, black pudding. I also had that in my visit to England recently, and it's made from blood. So it doesn't look great. And again, it you have to get over the psychology over it, but it tastes like sausage. But anyway, um, it's great to have you on the show today. Today, we're going to talk a little bit more about a broader topic. We're going to extend the focus of the podcast a little bit. And we're going to look at some practical issues that we come across in life and ask the question, what is God's Spirit saying to us in some of these practical situations that we find ourselves in? Today, we're talking about how to do friendship with the opposite sex. I trust that you find the conversation helpful and applicable to your own life. Can men and women be friends? In the male-dominated world of ministry where I've spent most of my working life, it's been an important question. Men have been my colleagues, cheerleaders and confidants. At the same time, there's plenty of books and articles that say women can't be friends with men, and we've all heard about those extramarital scandals. What does God have to say about cross-gendered relationships? Should we do friendship with the opposite sex? And if so, how can we do it in a way that's healthy? 
Hi, I'm Tanya Harris, and welcome to God Conversations, the show where we talk about what God's Spirit is saying to us today. Well, what a fun topic we have this week, and perhaps a little bit controversial too. People have very different opinions about this whole area. How can we be friends with the opposite sex, and even if we should be at all? Well, I've mentioned that I've had some great male friendships, but some leaders say that as a woman, I should steer clear of them. Well-known Billy Graham is very conscientious in this area, and he's been said to say that he would never even get into an elevator with a woman. In my ministry training, I remember too reading lots of articles with titles like 10 Rules for Working with Women. They were mainly directed towards men, and they included instructions such as never be in a room alone with a woman, or always leave the door open, and don't ever maintain eye contact with someone who's not your wife. In other words, they were saying, men, don't be friends with women. This approach has some real downsides because it treats women primarily as sources of temptation, and there's some real downsides to that. But on the other hand, I understand where they're coming from. You've probably heard a number of stories. A male pastor falls in love with his worship leader, or the male counsellor has an affair with the female counsellee. We know that there are some dangers of male-female friendships. Marriages and families and entire communities have been devastated when people have done the very things these articles warn us against. There's also some interesting science around this. In social psychology, there's a law called the law of propinquity. There's a word for you. And it states that the greater the physical or psychological proximity between people, the greater the chance they'll form friendships or romantic relationships. It's the idea of nearness. So it could be uh, it could be a physical nearness. So, for example, if two people are living on the same floor of a building, or perhaps they're working in the same office, or it could be a similarity or a nearness in nature. So, perhaps people who have the same political beliefs are drawn to each other as well. This is why affairs can develop so easily in the workplace. You can see it, can't you? So we're well aware that this can be a bit of a dangerous area and you can see why many pastors and leaders have advised people to step back, to say, hey, men, you should only be friends with your wife and wives, the same thing for you. And if, if you are single, then you shouldn't be really friends with the opposite sex unless you're intending to court and marry them. So there seems to be a bit of a sexual dynamic that gets in the way of true friendship. But does that mean that we should abandon them altogether? Is there another way to do friendship with the opposite sex? Are we missing out if we're only connected to the same gender? And what is God's heart for men and women in relationship? Let's take a look at what the scriptures say about this topic. We'll go back to the foundations, to God's intent for humanity, because we see in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God's vision described for men and women. It says that we're both made in the image of God and that together we reflect his nature and character. That means without men, I as a woman can't fully understand God's nature, and for men without women, they can't fully understand it either. But I think it's also important to understand that we can only really know what this looks like when we're in relationship 
with someone. And often we talk about the context of marriage in these passages, but it also relates to humanity as a whole. This whole idea of the shared image of God reflects who God is, regardless of what marital status we're in or what season in life we're in. I found this in my own experience. As I've gotten to know men, I've understood more of what God is like. In fact, some of my best friendships in life have been with men. I think of God's provision for me when I first started out planting a church. I met a guy through my master's. His name was Paul, and he offered to share his offices with us as a church. He was very much my cheerleader. He would always come and chat about the services on the Monday mornings. He would look out for me, and he would always reassure me when I had my discouraging moments. He taught me what it meant to love without agenda and how to laugh at my failures. Then I think of another friend of mine, Aaron, who is an ex-army guy. He first came to our church in the early days and his first comment to his wife was, uh-oh, there's a chick up the front. But he soon became one of my biggest cheerleaders. He got very involved in our church, really caught the vision. He even dressed up in a Santa suit at our Christmas outreach event. But Aaron taught me about the power of humility and how to be honest, even in our weakness. Finally, another friend of mine, Pete, who's an integral part of my God Conversations ministry, who diligently helps me with many of the multimedia work that I do. He's someone who patiently listens to my frustrations and cheers me on at the testimonies. He's someone who teaches me how to be firm and kind and how to lead by keeping relationship at the centre. All of these friendships have reflected something of God's heart and God's nature. All of them have been God's provision for the season of life that I've been in. Relationships with the opposite gender can help us to know God at a deeper level because we learn to relate to the other part of the image He's called us to share. What does Jesus tell us about this topic? I think it's helpful to look at his example. Jesus was such an unusual man. He often upended social norms, and particularly in the way that he related to women. Remember, he was an unmarried man, which was unusual enough for that time. But he's also seen regularly relating to both married and single women in public and in private. That is such radical behaviour. If you think about how Middle Eastern cultures operate today, you'll see just how much it was. In many countries of the Middle East, women aren't even allowed outside of their homes unless they're accompanied by an adult male relative, and they can't often be seen in public without their husband. Contrast that kind of culture with the actions and behaviours of Jesus. Think about Mary and Martha in their home. Here's Jesus discussing deep theological truths with a woman when there's no man around. They were talking about the things that really matter. Remember, women weren't regular attenders at the synagogues. Only the men were. The women needed to ask their husbands at home. And here's Jesus relating to both sisters in their home, and he wasn't either of their husbands. Or what about another situation? It gets worse here. Jesus is seen talking with a Samaritan woman at a public well. He's crossing ethnic lines here, but he's also talking with a woman. And a scandalous one at that. It's no wonder his disciples were horrified. Finally, we see Jesus relating to Mary of Bethany. It's also a public setting, and she comes to pour perfume all over his feet and wipes it with her hair. This is such an intimate act. 
It's no wonder it got the Pharisees talking. Somehow Jesus managed to interact with the opposite sex in a healthy way. He shows us that it's possible for women to engage meaningfully with their male counterparts and vice versa. In this radically new equality of the kingdom, it's not surprising. It's when men and women relate together that they're seen to fully represent the image of God, as talked about in Genesis chapter 1. But here's the thing. Jesus was perfect. He was sinless. When sinful humans start to do the same things as he did, all sorts of problems can occur. So is it possible for us to have the same kind of cross-gendered friendships as Jesus did? His actions were so radical at the time. And this, I think, is the ideal, isn't it? That's God's heart for men and women, that they'll be able to know the full image of God through interacting properly and healthily with each other. But Jesus may be the ideal, but we live with the real, don't we? There's enough scandals around to show us that while the ideal is good, humanity is flawed and it gets in the way. We have sin in our hearts. We have human needs that come into play. Temptation is a very real issue and boundaries can be crossed. Lust and sexual attraction are very powerful forces and wisdom is required. There's also cultural considerations to think about and every situation is different. I remember negotiating this as a pastor in my own church. One of my closest friends at the time was a man. We shared an office together. There were others in my leadership team that were men, and I would have coffee with them during the day. But I wouldn't necessarily go out with them for dinner by myself. And there were other people in my church that I wouldn't do coffee with on my own at all. I was much more careful. For some, it was appropriate, and for others, it wasn't. And then there were some issues that I just wouldn't talk about with some of these men, issues of the heart that it was much more appropriate to discuss with my girlfriends. So in every situation, there was wisdom and there was discretion because humanity is flawed and we need to take those things into account. See, talking to people who go down this track where mistakes are made, friendships often start harmlessly, but at some point a line is crossed. And if you were to go back and see, you can see what happened. So we need wisdom. We need godliness. We need common sense. And we need to make sure those things are protected. So while we have Jesus as the ideal, as the goal, we also need to deal with with the real. We need to have wisdom and discretion about how we operate at an earthly level. In 1989, an American romantic comedy called When Harry Met Sally explored this very question. Harry was played by Billy Crystal and Sally played by Meg Ryan. They started off as friends, but after a roller coaster ride of failed romantic relationships with other people, they end up admitting they've fallen in love with each other and they get married. Basically, the film says no to the question, can women be friends with men? But is that always the case? I don't know if you've seen that film, but it explores a question that's been around for a long time. In fact, early on in the movie, Harry says, men and women can't be friends because the sex part always gets in the way. And over time, of course, that's exactly what we see in the movie. The idea is that this will always happen. So we must stop it before it starts by pulling back. In other words, if your friend's not your marriage partner, then you shouldn't have any relationship 
at all. I remember during my pastoral training, I was told never to have a close conversation with a man. Keep it to topics like the weather or make sure you're never alone in a room with a man. But you know what? As a single woman pastoring a church, that meant I couldn't have any meaningful conversations with half of my congregation. What that kind of thinking was trying to produce was healthy boundaries. There's a well-known book written by Townsend and Cloud that talk about this topic. Boundaries are those invisible lines that define who I am in relation to other people. So they describe the roles that I play, the responsibilities I have in each of my relationships. The truth is that we all need healthy boundaries in our lives. We often think about this in parenting, don't we? Children flourish in an atmosphere where the parameters are well-defined because they give us a freedom to thrive. They're like the rules in the traffic. They keep the cars going in the right direction. Boundaries are good and they're helpful. Where the idea of boundaries in this situation is problematic, I think, is in the nature of those boundaries. Because although those rules are well-intended, they're primarily external. They're imposed from the outside in. And although well-intended, they can be hopelessly ineffective. So, you know, even if I have the door closed in a room with a friend of the opposite sex, I can still have an external boundary, but on the inside, I can still be crossing those lines. There might be a third person in the room, but thoughts may still be wandering to places where they shouldn't go. The truth is, if we're to have healthy friendships with the opposite sex, those boundaries need to be internalised. We need to take responsibility to carefully regulate our hearts even more than our office doors. Once when my pastor friend Paul and I were going to a pastor's retreat, the question came up of whether we should drive there together. The campsite was about three hours away and we lived in adjoining neighbourhoods, so it made sense that we travel in the same car. But the question is, should I be alone in the car with my male friend? We didn't know what to do. So I went to my mentor for advice. I said, what do you think I should do? Is this okay? Is this acceptable? She said, look, the last three failings amongst pastors in our denomination were male to male. Just go together. You're fine. And it was true. My friend Paul was like a brother to me. He knew it and I knew it. We'd even discussed it at some point. There was no need to enforce external boundaries because the internal ones were already in place. I had a great relationship with my friend. But you know what? There's been other relationships where I wouldn't do the same thing, where the boundaries weren't quite so clear, where there might have been a danger of those lines being crossed from his end or from mine. So in those situations, I wouldn't drive alone in a car. I wouldn't do coffee on my own. I wouldn't sit in an office for extended periods of time. This is what happens in the movie When Harry Met Sally, the movie we've been talking about today. We see them spend lengthy amounts of time together. They go out to dinner together. They have late night phone conversations. The boundaries of everyday friendship have been crossed into courtship and eventually marriage. So it's not to say it could happen with anyone, but in our cross-gendered friendships, it's important to assess where those boundaries are. The key is to consider every relationship on its own merit, to ask, where is my heart in this relationship? Are the boundary lines where they should be? See, it's up to us to take responsibility 
for what's happening in our hearts to consider, well, what's going on inside here? And if I'm in danger of crossing a line, a boundary, then I need to pull back. What's important is those boundaries are internalised and I'm making good decisions about what's happening on the inside. You know, sometimes it's not safe. Sometimes it's risky and we need to chat with someone else about it. That's what I did with my mentor. I said, what do you think? Because our hearts can be deceptive and sometimes lust and sexual attraction does get in the way and it starts to get dangerous and we need to pull back. But you know what? It's worth it to take time to establish internal boundaries because then we can be free to enjoy the blessings of one of the most worthwhile friendships in our lives. Having healthy friendships with the opposite sex is a gift available for us all to enjoy. But if we're not willing to keep our hearts in check, perhaps it would be better not to have friends with the opposite sex at all. Have you ever heard one of those stories about someone who thought they heard from God, but they actually didn't? Then there's all the damage and fallout that goes with it. We know that God speaks, but how do we know it's His voice we're hearing and not something we made up ourselves? The good news is that Jesus promised His people we'd be able to know His voice and follow it. Just like the Bible characters who've gone before us, we can learn to recognise His voice. The Other Side of the Conversation series is designed to take you step by step through the biblical teaching on hearing God's voice, as well as plenty of practical tips that you can apply in the context of your local church. We've worked really hard to create an excellent resource that has been used in churches all around the world and has the potential to change your life. The box set includes a documentary-style DVD with six 15-minute episodes, plus a guidebook for individual or small group use. You can buy it online from Curon Books in Australia, Manor in New Zealand, or at the godconversations.com store. Remember, the ability to hear God's voice is given to everyone who chooses to follow Jesus. It was never meant to be a one-way conversation. We've been looking at how to do friendship with the opposite sex. God presents humanity as co-image bearers with Him. That means that men and women were both made in the image of God and together we represent Him. In other words, we see more of who God is through our relationships with both genders. Then we've talked about how Jesus models the possibility for healthy cross-gendered friendships. But because of our flawed humanity, there's wisdom needed in that. We can make mistakes and therefore we need strong boundaries. And these boundaries are most powerful, not when they're externally added on, but when they're internalised in our hearts. We're going to look at another piece of helpful advice from the writings of the Apostle Paul when he was working through this issue in the early church. And remember, this is at a time in history where there was a radical shift in the subcultures of the churches because suddenly women are seen as full participants in the congregations. It was very different to how it was in wider society. In fact, history tells us that women flocked to the early church because of the way they were treated treated as equals. But that also meant that there were some new relationships to negotiate, and these could get tricky. So what we see is the Apostle Paul writing to his young mentor, Timothy, on how to pastor a congregation with both men and women. So 1 Timothy 5.1 says this, Treat younger men as brothers, he writes. Treat older women as mothers and younger women as sisters with absolute 
purity. Paul, of course, was writing from a man's perspective, but we can easily switch this around, can't we, to apply it to both genders. So if Timothy was to treat older women as mothers and younger women as sisters, then women should also treat older men as fathers and younger men as brothers. God's church was a family and it should operate that way. So what does that mean in practice? Well, for women, we need to ask, how do I act towards my brother? and then interact with a man who's not my husband or not my boyfriend in the same way. For men, the question is, how do I act towards my sister? And then when I interact with a woman who's not my wife or my girlfriend, I treat them also as a sister. Now, I grew up with three brothers, one older and two younger, and they're all grown up now, and they're all married to women who love them dearly, and they're all good men. I would even say attractive men, but you know, it's difficult for me to think of them that way. Even though my middle brother looks a little bit like Matt Damon, it's impossible for me to think of them sexually. They're my brothers. The thought of kissing them would make me squirm as it should. And that's what it means to treat men as brothers. I apply the same emotional and physical boundaries that I would apply to my male family members to the way I treat my male friends. It's about how we situate our thinking. It's about positioning our hearts. There's a flip side, I think, to Paul's advice that we can also apply. Let me start with the vantage point of a woman. You see, if I'm to treat men as brothers, then I also need to present myself as a sister. I need to act in a way that's sisterly. I need to show myself capable of healthy, godly friendships. So we present ourselves as sisters behaving, speaking and interacting as equals in the family. So to the men I meet, I'm not looking for the affections of a lover. I'm not presenting myself to turn anyone on. And I'm not offering alluring glances to seek sexual affirmation. That's as irksome as kissing your brother. And of course, the corollary is also true. Men need to present themselves as brothers. So unless you're trying to woo somebody, you act towards women as a brother would. And that includes the things you say, the actions you take, and the body language to use. So we're not wolf whistling. We're not making suggestive comments. We're acting in a way a brother would. It's about positioning our hearts. See, we can't always control some of the stereotypes of our culture. We can't always change the thoughts and intentions of those around us, but we can take responsibility for the way we present ourselves. So yes, treat the opposite sex as sisters and brothers, but also present yourself in that way. This is where Paul's advice becomes so helpful. And when we implement it, we can really realise the fullness of God's image with friends of the opposite sex. I have to admit that from the vantage point of a single, it's usually easier to have cross-gendered friendships when both parties are singles. Once it's been established that your friend is more brother than lover, you can get on with the business of friendship. I think of a good male friend of mine. We worked together for four years. We started our jobs around the same time and sat side by side at our desks in the office. Every week we chatted over coffees and we compared work notes. He taught me how to ski better and gave me insights on politics and documentaries on SBS. He was there when I had a bad day and I needed a word of encouragement. Funnily enough, there were rumours. People found it hard to believe that we were just friends, but we were. 
But then my friend got married and things were bound to change. Suddenly there was another person in the mix and this friendship that he had was far more important than the friendship we had. Now our friendship had to take a second place to a more important one. You know, in my ministry, I have the privilege of hosting a number of wedding ceremonies. They're such special occasions when the couple come together and make intimate promises to one another. They pledge to partner together forever. They promise to be their partner's significant other through sickness and in health till death parts. Basically, they're promising to become each other's best friends. That means every other friendship has to take second place. They have to take a back seat as the spousal relationship becomes primary. And you know, there's a reason why family and friends are invited. There's a reason that a wedding is usually a community event. It's because we're joining together to witness that sacred moment. And by our attendance, we're showing our support. We're saying we recognize the priority of this relationship and we are going to do everything we can to support you in it. We know our place. But does that mean that you need to lose the friendship altogether? Fortunately, I didn't lose my friend after the wedding day, but that's not always the case. You see, sometimes when your single friend of the opposite sex gets married, you have to be ready to surrender the friendship because now your friend's priority is his partner, as it should be. And sometimes a partner doesn't want to compete with another friend. The one way I can still be friends with my married male friends is because their wives are happy about it. They're secure in their husband's affections and there's no sense of competition. And now they're friends with me. The best way to maintain friendships with your married friends is to get to know your friend's husband or wife. Involve them in your friendship. Seek to know them as you do their partners. It's not only a good way to increase your friendship circle, but it acts as a constant reminder of your role. My life has been blessed with healthy friendships of the opposite gender. You know, I think we all need them. But being friends with the opposite sex, especially when they're married, means that certain boundaries need to be in place. We need to respect our friends' marriage partners. We need to present ourselves as brothers or sisters. We need to take responsibility for the positioning of our hearts to set those boundaries in place. It's only then that we can enjoy healthy friendships with the opposite sex. And it's then that we can know God more fully by seeing him through the eyes of our friends. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast on friendship with the opposite gender, and I hope it's given you some wisdom for your own relationships. It's been great to have your company. I encourage you to go to godconversations.com to check out some more resources on how to hear God's voice and how you can apply that to your own life and situation. You've been listening to God Conversations with Tanya Harris. We'll talk to you again soon. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast by Tanya Harris. Be sure to catch the next episode by subscribing on iTunes. Search for God Conversations with Tanya Harris and click on the subscribe button. While you're there, why not help us to equip others to hear God's voice by rating the series and giving us a review. And remember, Jesus said that we would recognize his voice. It was never meant to be a one-way conversation.